Hey, how many of you remember a band from the mid-90s called Dishwalla? Anyone here remember the band Dishwalla? Several hands going up right now. Uh, even if you, you don't remember the name of that band, I bet you'll remember one of their songs. It's, uh, it's called Counting Blue Cars. And Dishwalla really was a one-hit wonder in that that is their only song to ever reach the charts. But it was huge. And if you were listening to the radio in 1995, uh, you certainly heard that song, Counting Blue Cars. Uh, the chorus to that song says this. It says, tell me all your thoughts on God, because I'd really like to meet her. And ask her why we're who we are. Tell me all your thoughts on God because I'm on my way to see her. So tell me, am I very far? And I can remember uh, driving in my dad's silver Chevy Lumina with the windows down, blaring that song, rocking out to it. And I remember thinking, I don't think God's a girl, uh, but this song has a good beat. I can dance to it. And, uh, and, you know, they're singing about God, so they must be Christians and it's all okay. And the song is all about a man and a boy who are walking down the sidewalk and they're asking uh, each other about their thoughts on God. They're asking the people that they interact with on the sidewalk, tell me all your thoughts on God. And you know, there are a lot of thoughts on God out there. There are a lot of different people with different experiences pulling their information about God from various different sources. And this morning, I want to ask you the question, what are your thoughts on God? You know, maybe you've uh, never put much thought into what you believe about God. You certainly have some thoughts about him, uh, but maybe you've never really looked critically at why you believe what you believe about God. Others here today maybe have put more time and more thought into formulating what you believe to be true about God. Maybe life circumstances or tragedies have shaped what you believe about him. I know that in this room this morning we have people from all uh, kinds of faith backgrounds and certainly those different faith experiences will shape what we believe about God. They have the potential to do that. So many different things uh, can shape and can, can lead our thoughts on God. A.W. Tozer is noted as having said this. He says, what comes into your mind, what comes into our minds when we think about God it's the most important thing about us. Think about that for a minute. What, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Why is that so important? Well, because what you believe about God will set the course for everything else about your life. It'll determine the way that you make decisions. It'll determine the way that you handle money. It will determine your approach to relationships. It's going to determine how you view and even navigate through pain and suffering. And certainly it will affect the way that you pray. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Last weekend, we started this series called The Circle Maker, and Kevin Russell, our groups and discipleship pastor, did a great job uh, of kicking this thing off, really giving us some practical tools for this area of prayer. If you missed that message, you can go online to genesischurch.me and, uh, and you can hear those words that Kevin shared with us last week. But the idea for this series came from a book uh, by a pastor named Mark Batterson and his book is titled The Circle Maker. And in his book, Batterson says this. He says, the size of our prayers depends on the size of our God. So let me ask you this question. How big is your God? How big is your God? And while we can look at a number of different sources to try to answer that question, I believe that, that the primary way that we can know and learn about the God of the universe is through his word. It's the Bible. And it's his revelation of himself to us. And I am hoping and have been praying that in our brief time together this morning, 
that you will be challenged to take inventory of your thoughts on God and that you will root those thoughts on what God says about himself in his word. Because I believe that ultimately what Batterson said is true, that the size of our prayers will grow proportionately with our understanding of the size of our God. If you brought your Bible today, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 145. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some either under or around you uh, in the seats there. Um, Feel free to use one of those. If you don't own a Bible, I want to invite you to keep one of those, okay? It's our gift to you. But Psalm 145, these passages are going to be on the screen as well. If you're using the Bible in your row, this is going to be on page 435. But this psalm that we're going to look at today, it's written by King David. It's a psalm of praise uh, from David to his God. And this is the same David uh, of David and Goliath. You may be familiar with that story. It's the same David as David and Bathsheba, uh, not one of his brighter moments. But it's also the same David of whom God said, uh, he's a man after my own heart. He's a man after my own heart. And what a way to be known and to be remembered. You know, I, I pray that for my son Josiah on a regular basis. When I'm tucking Joe in at night and we pray together, that's one of the things that I pray for him is, God, make Josiah a man after your own heart. And I just need to tell you a story really quickly this morning. Uh, I'm already seeing God begin to answer that prayer. We've really enjoyed getting to know our neighbors since we moved back last August. And we've got some great neighbors. I've told you before, a lot of kids on our corner of the street. And it just so happens that our next door neighbors, uh, Ben and Jamie, they've got a son named Austin who is is two months within the same age as Josiah. Joe will turn uh, five in September and Austin will turn five in November. And so these guys have become great friends and they run around our yards playing Ninja Turtles together and running dump trucks all over the place. And I've got a, a picture I wanted to show you this morning. This is Joe and Austin on Friday. Josiah caught a fish, and so uh, we put it in a bucket. And let me just tell you, if you want to keep two four-year-old boys entertained for hours on end, all you need is a fish and a bucket, okay? Uh, They sat there uh, playing with that fish until ultimately the fish became fertilizer for my garden. But uh, they are great buddies. And uh, last last week, Josiah and his buddy Austin were playing at our house, and Uh, I went upstairs to check on them. They were playing in Joe's room, and as I cracked the door open and I looked in, uh, there was Josiah and Austin sitting on Joe's bed, and Joe was reading to Austin from his Bible. And we bought Joe a Bible a couple of weeks ago, and it's a boy's Bible that highlights all the gross stuff in the Bible, okay? Boys like gross stuff, right? So this Bible specifically just highlights all that gross stuff. And for me as a dad in that moment, it was just so cool to see my son loving God's word and to see God beginning to fulfill that prayer of making Joe a man after God's own heart. And I just, I got to tell you too that Joe's four. He can't read, okay? So I'm not endorsing the theological accuracy of anything that was said in that conversation, but just as a dad, seeing that he was moving in that direction was great. So uh, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about today, but uh, back to Psalm 145. David is going to reveal to us several attributes of God, and this is a psalm, uh, like I said, a psalm of praise. I want to read this whole passage together, and then what I want to do is I want to come back, and I just want to highlight three specific attributes of God that I think are specifically helpful for us this morning. So let's read it together. It's Psalm 145, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Excuse me. 
Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise your name, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and they speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom, it's an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, would you give us a clearer picture of who you are this morning? Would you, through your word and by the power of your spirit, Father, just correct any false idea that we may have about who you are and what you are capable of? Father, increase our desire to come to you in prayer as we understand uh, more fully your character, as we understand more fully your might and your sovereignty, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, even just in an initial reading of of that psalm, it's clear that David holds an incredibly high view of the Lord, isn't it? I mean, he's speaking from experience. He speaks from the depths of his relationship with a God who, who has, you know, been faithful to David. He's a man who has received God's provision. He's speaking as a man who has known God's correction, and also, though, God's forgiveness and his restoration. And he's speaking from the depths of a man whose life was marked by a pursuit of God. And David understood something about God's greatness. Look again at verse 3. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And there are a lot of things that we attribute greatness to, aren't there? I mean, we use that word quite a lot in our conversations. We say things like, man, that was a great meal, right? Or maybe in sports, we'll say, that was a great play. Or or maybe um, we'll we'll see someone that we're fond of and we'll say, you know what, he's a great guy. Some of you will go home today and you'll say, that was a great sermon. (laughs) Probably just my wife, but that's okay. You know, we use that word great quite a lot. But David says, of all the things we attribute greatness to, the Lord is most worthy of praise. That's what he says. He's higher than anything else. His greatness, no one can fathom. And here's the point. If you're taking notes this morning, God is greater than you can imagine. He is greater than you can imagine. Whatever thoughts you may have about God, they're not big enough. They're not big enough. They're not great enough because our human minds are limited and they cannot fathom how great God is. Is One of the reminders that God has given us of his greatness is right above us all of the time. 
Have you ever looked up into the sky and just been captivated by the greatness of it? Have you ever been outside on a clear night, stars and, sh- and, and moon just shining above and, and just been overwhelmed by the magnitude of it all? I remember on a fishing trip several years ago, I was in Ontario, Canada, and I was standing on the shore of Lake of the Woods. It was about midnight, and we were watching the northern lights as they danced off in the distance. And I can remember it was so clear that night, and there were stars. You could see them from horizon to horizon. And in that moment, standing there, I remember just thinking, Lord, how big is it? Like, how much did you create out there? And I can remember in that moment just really feeling insignificant, in the midst of the enormity of the greatness of God's creation. You know, earlier in the Psalms, David wrote this in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. He said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. There's a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia. His name is Louis Giglio, and some of you are are surely familiar with that name. He's a fairly well-known pastor, and and he has an excellent message on this passage of Scripture, Psalm 19, uh, and on the indescribable nature of God's greatness. If you want more teaching on the greatness of God, this would be a great sermon uh, for you to listen to. It's on YouTube. If you just search Louis Giglio, indescribable, it will not be a waste of your time. But I want to share with you just a little bit of what he says in that message because it's so good. The passage says that the skies and the heavens are revealing knowledge. And Louis points out that what the skies and the heavens know is the greatness of God. He is massive. He is glorious. The heavens are shouting down to us and they are telling us that God is greater than any thought that we've ever had of him. He's greater than any problem we could possibly face. And he is greater than anything that this world might throw our way. And the heavens serve as a billboard that reminds us day after day and night after night of God's greatness. Scripture tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us that he spoke, and out of his very words came light, out of nothing, out of darkness. Just the words that he spoke, light came from his mouth. Who is this God who speaks light into existence? It tells us that he created the universe, and it's massive. In fact, we don't even know how big it is. We refer to it as the known universe, because every time we build a bigger telescope, we realize it's not big enough. There's more out there that we haven't seen yet. There's more out there that we don't know about, and we're blown away again. The scripture tells us that, that, uh, that God is the creator of it all, and that he knows every star by name. We don't even know how many stars are out there. God is on a first-name basis with each and every one of them. And some people look at the bigness of the universe, and it seems like overkill. The primary purpose of this universe is just to be a home to you and me. In fact, that's one of the arguments that people would make for life on other planets, that if if Earth's primary purpose, if the universe's primary purpose is just to be a home for you and me, then it's way too big. But what if the primary purpose of the universe is not to be a home for you and me? But what if the primary purpose of the universe is to display God's glory and God's majesty and God's splendor and God's greatness. Because if that's the primary purpose of the universe, then it's really not too big at all. In fact, it's a really good representation because if you think about it, you know, we we have no idea how big this thing is. We can only imagine the width and the depth and the breadth of it. And isn't the same true of God himself? 
I mean, there are things that we can know about God for sure because he has revealed himself to us through his word. He has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. But what mind can grasp his greatness? What mind can grasp his enormity? How big is he? Well, the prophet Isaiah gives us some perspective on this in several passages uh, from Isaiah chapter 40. I just want to share a couple of them with you. In Isaiah 40 chapter Chapter 12, Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who, who, who with the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Who's weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? And then later in Isaiah 40, in, uh, in verse 22, he says, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and he spreads them out like a tent to live in. Isaiah is asking the question, how big is your God? Because he knows that that we have this tendency to stop short when it comes to our thoughts on God. How big is God? And I wonder if some of you have been asking that same question. Maybe you find yourself in an impossible circumstance and you're asking, God, how big are you? What, what about this sickness that has made its home in my body? God, are you bigger than that? What about this marriage that is tearing apart at the seams? It's literally hanging on by a thread. God, are you bigger than that? What about the child that has walked away from all of your hopes and dreams for them? God, are you bigger than that? Father, what about the financial crisis I find myself in? Are you bigger? How big is your God? And the psalmist simply replies, great is the Lord. His greatness no one can fathom. He has the power to overcome any circumstance that you might be facing right now, but don't miss this. He also has the power to sustain you through it, and maybe that is the path that he has chosen for you. Maybe that's the path that that he's got you on right now. Will you choose to press into his greatness because you can trust that, that he is greater than you can imagine. But don't lose sight of this. He is also more gracious than you can imagine. God is more gracious than you can imagine. Just as big and deep as is the universe, so is God's grace for you. Back to Psalm 145 and verses 8 through 9, David says of the Lord his God, he says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. I want to I wanna just uh, do a, a small exercise here this morning. If you've got a pen in hand and maybe your program or maybe you want to grab one, I want to ask you this question. If you had to pick one word to describe how you think God feels about you, what would that one word be? Maybe just jot that down on your program. What would the one word be that would describe how you think God feels about you? Write it down. What breaks my heart in asking that question this morning is the thought or maybe the understanding that some of you just wrote words like angry. Some of you had a word come into your mind like disappointed. Some of you maybe thought of the word frustrated or or perhaps you thought even hatred. You know, I just feel like God hates me. And I firmly believe that one of the primary reasons why people lack a vibrant, beneficial prayer life is not only because we don't understand the greatness of God, but but also because we don't understand 
his graciousness. We don't understand how he feels about us because our view is not based on God's word. I think sometimes maybe our, our view is based off of human response, human emotion, the way that, that we would feel if someone did the things to us that we have done against God. We think things like, well, he must be angry at me. I would be. You know, he, he must hate me because, you know, I, I kind of hate myself for the things that I've done. And it's not fun to interact with someone who's always disappointed in you, is it? Some of you, uh, some of you view God through the lens of your biological father. And I interacted with a, a woman from Genesis Church some time ago who told me uh, that she absolutely dreaded the moment that her dad would come home from work. As she grew up, her room uh, was in the basement of their home, and she would hear the front door open. She would hear his steps moving across the floor, and her stomach would literally drop as she thought, is he going to be angry with me? Is he going to be disappointed? Is he going to be frustrated? You know, what did I do something wrong? And folks, hear me clearly on this this morning. If you can relate with that story, if you can relate with her experience, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to know that God is not an angry dad. God is not an angry dad. Some of you grew up with angry dads, and they were not a good example to you of what God is really like. David tells us that our heavenly father is gracious. He says he's compassionate, that he is slow to anger, that he is rich in love. Is this what you think of when you think about God? If not, I, I want to suggest this morning that maybe your view of God is rooted in something other than the truth of his word. You know, some of you are struggling in your prayer life because you are so full of guilt and shame over your sins. You are hiding from the presence of God. You think God is angry with you, that he's upset with you, that he can't handle your sin. Let me tell you something. He already did. He already handled your sin. The Bible tells us that God made his son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Your sin has already been handled on the cross of Christ. God is not an angry dad. He is a gracious, loving father who has done everything necessary to cancel your sin debt and allow you to live in the freedom of, of the guilt and the shame that, that you've been living with. And now we can draw near to him and we can pray to him with confidence because it's not any merit of our own that has earned us this. It's only because of his unimaginable grace. God is greater than you can imagine. He is more gracious than you can imagine. And David wants us to know one more thing this morning. It's that God is closer than we can imagine. God is closer than you can imagine. You know, it's easy to fall into thinking that within a, a universe that is unimaginably big and with galaxies millions, even billions of miles away, it's easy to fall into thinking that, well, God must be millions and billions of miles away too. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? You know, it, it, I can't see him. I can't feel him. I just don't think he's around. But look at what David says in verses 18 through 20 of Psalm 145. He says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And I want to close this morning assuring you of three things that David knew to be true about God and that God affirms of himself because it's written in his word. Listen to me. When you feel like God is a million miles away, I want you to remember this. He is near you. He hears you. 
and he sees you. He is near you, he hears you, and he sees you. Look again at the text, it's right there. It says he is near you. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. He hears you, verse 19. He hears the cry of those who fear him. He sees you, verse 20. The Lord watches over all who love him. He is near you. He hears you and he sees you. But notice that there's a part for us to play in this as well. Did you you catch that? He is near to who? All who call on him. He hears who? Those who fear him. And he sees who? Those who love him. So are you calling out to him? Are you pursuing him in prayer? Are you showing him appropriate fear? Or we could say, you know, respect or reverence. Are you showing an appropriate amount of respect for the Lord? Are, are you loving him with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul, all of your strength? You know, I don't think it's any secret uh, that I enjoy hunting. Um, I know that some of you here this morning are animal lovers, and I want you to know that I am too. I just love them differently than you do. Uh, and I hope we can still be friends. Uh, but from the beginning of September until about the first couple of weeks of January, I am on constant lookout for opportunities to get to the woods. That's deer season in Indiana. Some of you know that. And I absolutely love being in the woods. I absolutely love seeing deer in their element. I, I love uh, watching them interact with each other. They're incredibly beautiful creatures. They're in- incredibly intelligent creatures. And I love trying to figure them out, trying to, to know how to be in the right place at the right time. And there's a, there's a passage of scripture, it's an, another psalm actually that has really come into new life for me in the midst of my deer hunting. It's, it's Psalm 42 verses 1 through 2, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And in 2012, I was living in Michigan, and the summer of 2012 was an extremely dry and hot summer. Do you remember that? Just two summers ago, it was so hot and so dry. And there was a, there was a midge, a small biting fly that flourished in those dry, hot conditions. And that midge carried a disease called epizootic hemorrhagic disease. It's more commonly known as EHD, and it's fatal to white-tailed deer. And what happened is this midge, as it, as it flourished, it, it started biting deer and passing this disease to them. And, and the deer's temperature would spike. It would get an incredibly high fever, and the deer would become desperate to find water. And in the, the deer hunting season of 2012, hunters reported walking into the woods and just being absolutely overwhelmed by the stench of decay and death from the dead deer that were in the woods. In the county just north of where I lived, Ionia County reported over 6,000 dead deer in that county alone. I encountered one such deer that had made it to the water and then died there at the water, and it was decomposing right there on the side of the water from EHD. And so when I read words like, as the deer pants for streams of water, I don't think about a Hallmark card with a doe and a fawn walking on a green pasture next to a babbling brook. What I picture in my mind is a deer that is desperate for the water, a deer that this is in a life and death situation. If I don't make it to the water, if I don't get in the water and get the water inside of me, I'm done. It's over. I'm going to die. And I wonder this morning, do you approach the Lord in that same way? Do you approach prayer in that same way? The psalmist, the psalmist says this. He says, when can I go and meet with God? My soul thirsts for God. I need him. He's the only thing that's going to bring me life. Do you approach the Lord that way?
And if the answer to that question is no, could it be that your thoughts on God are not big enough? Could it be that, that you have not recognized God's greatness, that he is greater than any problem you might come up against, that he has the power to overcome any circumstance and to sustain you through it? Could it be that, that you have not recognized God's graciousness? He has done everything necessary to free you from a life of guilt and shame. Or maybe it has to do with a wrong pattern of thinking when it comes to God's proximity. Listen, he is near you, he hears you, and he sees you. And maybe you are realizing this morning that your thoughts on God are not sufficient. They have been rooted in something other than the truth of his word. And let me tell you, as long as that is the case, we will run the risk of only praying feeble, anemic prayers to God that neither glorify him nor have any benefit to our lives. But when we begin to approach God in light of his unfathomable greatness, in light of his awesome grace, and in light of his unimaginably close proximity to us, that is where our appropriate response will begin. Let me pray for us. Father, find us thirsty for you this morning. Father, I pray that as we sort out our thoughts on you, that they would be guided by the truth of your word, they would be guided uh, by the things we've read in your scriptures this morning, Father, that you are, are a great God. There's nothing that you can't overcome. There's nothing that you can't sustain us through that you are a gracious God. You are slow to anger. You are not an angry dad. You have compassion on us. You are rich in love. Help us to embrace that, Father, and help us to embrace your closeness. Lord, you, you have given us your spirit. Those of us who have called on your name, who have accepted Christ, your spirit lives in us. It doesn't get any closer than in us. Thank you for that, Father. Remind us of that this morning. And Father, if there are those here this morning who have never embraced your truth, never embraced your hope and your freedom, Lord, I pray by your spirit this morning that you would be drawing their heart, that you would be giving them boldness to surrender their life to you, to find the peace that goes beyond understanding. And Father, to begin interacting with you, their loving, caring, compassionate, great Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you. Hear that not just from our lips, but from our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.